So I think you got it all figured out by now, but I'm a grandpa. So um, we were trying to come up with grandma, grandpa names. Now you'd be like, well, that's a name, right? But uh, Tim and Vicki already stole that name. Now, when our kids are growing up, they just had grandma and grandpa, grandma and grandpa. And to us, it was so confusing. I was constantly saying, they would say, can we go to grandma and grandpa's house? I'd be like, which one, right? Um, When I was growing up, I had granddad and grandma and then grandma and grandpa. Uh, And so as long as I put grandma and granddad together, my parents knew exactly who I was talking about, right? Without that, you kind of have to add the last name, you know, Grandma Elrod, uh, Grandma Hastings, uh, that kind of thing. And so Lori and I thought, well, we're going to come up with a different name. Um, and so our first try was, uh, my, my dad has always been Pops, you know, that's just what me and my brothers have always called him. And, and he's an awesome guy. And so I'm just like, I'll just pass on that, you know. So maybe I could just be Pops. And so that passed okay. And uh, so Lori and I were laying in bed one night trying to come up with her name. And I don't know if she came up with it or I came up with it, but I think it was her. But she says, I think I'm going to be Lolly. Lollipops, right? <laughs> I mean, what grandkid would not want to go to Lollipops' house, right? And so we were so excited about this, and Lori was just couldn't hold it in, so she's like texting Carrie, and it wasn't very long at all, and she's like, no, <laughs> you're not going to be Lollipop. Uh, so, so that one got vetoed. Anyway, Lori was talking to her parents, or her mom at some point, and, and uh, Carol's grandma was no-no, and so Lori thought, I think that's what I would like to be called as no-no. And so I was over at my parents this last week, right? And, and uh, she's, of course, wanting to know what's going on, all the pictures I had, and shared all of those things. And, and, uh, and she was asking about names. And I said, well, uh, Lori's going to be no-no. And she's like, well, where did that come from? Is that family? And I, said, I was explaining, you know, where it came and stuff. And she says, well, why? And I was like, I don't know. I've not met the lady, but I'm assuming she went around always saying, no, 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 right? <laughs> And so, and then it just come to me, my name. I'm going to be Yes Pops, right? So they'll have be No-No and Yes Pops, right? Just to balance it out a little bit, I think. So I don't know if that one will pass or not, but maybe Pops will at least stay. We'll see. Um, but I, I, grandpas have a tendency of just kind of overdoing it, right? I mean... Like, you see them in all the stories or grandkids' stories, all the pictures or grandkid pictures. And, and you just sit there and you're like, oh, that's really cool. But you're just thinking, is this all that you have in your wallet or your phone or what is, you know, grandkid pictures? Man, I tell you, I understand now, right? Because that's what I want to do every time I see somebody, even a stranger. I just want to say, hey, have you seen my grandkid yet? Um, so I got a picture for you. Isn't that cute? So, yeah, you guys are playing right into it. If you say that too much, you know there's going to be one of these like every week. But I, I, I decided this week that I'm not going to show a picture of my granddaughter, right, unless there's a reason to show it. So help me. Let's find out a reason that, that we have this picture. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, I want to talk to you today about love. Uh, we, we've talked about several things now. We've talked about just, just what the church is. And the church is, it, it is such amazing. I mean, if, if we just will pause and just think of all that we get because we get to be a part of the Lord's church and all that comes out of it, um, then we really can start appreciating it. And as we're going, you know, this, going through this little uh, area that we're through our main series of reconnecting. I thought it would just be really healthy for us just to pause, right, and just reflect upon the church and see how good the church is. And so, so far we talked about the church as a place to belong. I mean, God literally found us as orphans, right? And we were, we did not have a future. We did not have a home. We did not have a destination. Uh, And he adopts us. And that's what Ephesians chapter 1 is all about. It just talks about this love of God and how he uh, has 
adopted us into his family through Jesus. Um, and we have found this. We found this home, this place to belong. And, and we, we've talked about that the church is a, it's a place to fellowship. It's a, it's a companionship. It's a place to, to really have these strong connections with other people. And we were not only orphans, but we were strangers until we found Jesus, right? And then all of a sudden, we come into this place, and, and we just have this connection. And any one of us could just go to another church anywhere, anywhere. I believe that this is true. And if we would just have some, some uh, um, initiative, it doesn't take much, but just a little bit of initiative just to engage them in a friendly way, we would find that we have these strong connections with strangers that almost feels like family. I mean, there rarely ever have I had a bad experience, no matter what church I step into, as long as I have a positive attitude. Now, if I go in there with a bad attitude, right, then I might have a bad experience because there's some, something about the way that our spirit just gives off this vibe. Um, and if we have the right spirit within us, I have no bout, doubt that we would we would find like-minded people that have that same spirit, and we probably make connections just like this, like they're just family. And that's one of the things that I love about the church is there's this, this fellowship that you don't find anywhere else. Uh, we talked about the church as a place to invest, and it really is, right? I mean, the more that, that you uh, give up yourself, the more that you get back. I mean, you, can, you will reap way more than what you sow. But we have to sow. We have to be able to deposit, you know, uh, our uh, deposit, invest uh, into the church. But when we do invest into the church, we, we just gain so much uh, as a result of that. Um, and last week, we talked about that it's a place to meet needs. It's a place to serve one another. And I think our church is dynamic about this. I really do. Uh, last week, I just I tried to just paint a little bitty picture, but it was just a little bitty picture because it could have gone forever. And I really appreciated the fact that Matthew came up right behind me. Did not know anything that Matthew was going to say. And then he just shared a couple more of those experiences of how, how people have, in, have uh, met his needs and Madison's needs and uh, serve them, and, and obviously we get uh, service from them too, right? I mean, it's just, this, it's just this very satisfying thing to be a part of a family that is always looking out for one another, uh, and that's what church is. So today I want to talk to you about church is also a place to love. I mean, just to have, have a a different kind of love than the world gives us and, um, and gives each other. Um, if, if it wasn't for Jesus, I have no doubt that we would be in seek of love, and we would be people who try to love. It's just that it's not the same without Jesus than it is with Jesus. There's something that is more powerful, more intense, more beautiful, more perfect when it comes to loving through Jesus, or letting him love through us, maybe would be the better way to put it, right? Um, but it made me think about that picture that I had up here with Carrie and Cole and Mesa. Do you remember the first time you became parents, right? The, the, the first child that you brought home. And I'm not saying that it changed with the second or the third or whatever, right? I mean, it, it's all a beautiful time. But that first one, because the thing is, is you didn't even realize that your heart could go that deep when it comes to love. I mean, you kind of probably, and, and this really brings it back to me as I'm seeing Carrie and Cole and just how much they love this child, you know, uh, and, and how protective they become so quick. And, Man, Cole, you know, it was like pulling teeth for Carrie and I to ever get him in front of a camera. Now all I had to do is show up with a camera. He's like, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to stand? You know, kind of thing. It's not very hard anymore. And, and it's just a genuine smile that comes over him. But, but that's just what, it's, it's hard to believe and, and imagine unless you've done it. And I have explained this to Carrie even before Mesa came. Like, you're going you're gonna to discover a love that is so intense that you didn't even realize your heart could experience that. 
And, and I don't think that she believed me, you know. Um, but now she does. She's like, Dad, you're right. Yeah, right. And, uh, and I just think that that is so true for all of us. We experience this because, and, and they've done nothing for us, right? But somehow they draw it out of us. Um, and I talked about this from the pulpit too. I mean, we can take this child and we just, we just look at it. And, and there's this joy that comes our way, just looking. I mean, they could just be sleeping Messing their pants, and there's joy that still comes out of out of the whole experience. Uh, the first couple of days, I think Lori was trying to help them understand, like, you can't hold her like all the time, right? Because at some point, you're going to want to lay her down, and for her to be content by herself. Um, and so, but new parents, what do they want to do? They just want to hold her, whether she's sleeping or not sleeping, uh, and just uh, you know enjoy that time. I believe that it's only through Jesus Christ that we can experience an intense love that we, we, people outside of Christ know nothing about. And that's what I want to talk to you about, is because he somehow draws this out of us. And, and if you were to talk to somebody that has not experienced Jesus, they, they would not understand, nor would they believe you, that you love way better than since Jesus has come into your life than you did before Jesus came into your life. And some of them may be like, whoa, <laughs> you weren't a very nice person, was you? <laughs> uh, but it's true, though. I mean, there's, just, there's things that I have done uh, that, is, that, that, that is deeper, uh, things that I have been able to let go of. Uh, that I would have never been able to let go of if I didn't have Jesus, you know. And it's just because his love motivates me in this way. One of the marks of the early church, and we kind of touched on this uh, last week, but one of the marks of the early church is the way that they loved each other and loved those around them. It wasn't just within the church, but that's where it started. By the way, whenever the Bible talks about giving, uh, talks about love, about serving, you know where it always starts? Here. It never starts give outside, you know, to the people out in the world, uh, love the people out in the world, serve the people out in the world. It doesn't start there. Most of the time when it talks about those three things, it is talking about how we do it here inside this church. And so when, when we are talking about, you know, meeting each other's needs is because that's where it starts is within the church. And we talk about love, it's where it starts is within the church. But I want to go broader than that today because I also want you to understand that this love cannot be contained. Just like a, a grandpa can't contain his love for his granddaughter and for sure new parents can't contain their love for their kids. It's the same way with the love that, that we have in Jesus it should not be contained. It needs to start here with the way that we love one another. But it, it, because of its nature, it has to be shared beyond. Uh, and that's the way that the first church was. And everybody saw it. It was, it was causing people to turn their heads and look into this group of people uh, quickly and just marvel at them. How is it that they're doing this? Dognetus, um, he, he wrote this letter, and this is dated back to 130 A.D., so just not very long after Jesus, right, exited this world and went to be with the Father to prepare a place for us and all that we know. But he wrote this just 130 A.D., uh, said this about the Christians, they love all men but are persecuted by all. They love all men, but are persecuted by all. There's, a, there's something pretty deep just within that statement. But, but the thing that, that I draw you to is just the fact that they, even when they were treated poorly, they were being known for their love and this depth of their love. Uh, Tertullian, an early church uh, leader, reported uh, that Rome would exclaim all the time, you know, the Rome, which would be from the outside looking in, would say this, see how they love one another. 
That's, that's what the people outside of, of this new church, they were just always marveling at how much love they had for one another. Justin Martin gave this sketch of the early church, and he says, We who used to value the acquisitions of wealth and the possessions more than anything else now bring what we have into a common fund and share with it with anyone who needs it. We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. And it's no wonder why Christianity spreads so fast. Because that's just what love does. I mean, love, true love is super contagious, right? True love is super contagious. I kind of think that's why babies just takes one person to start, and then you just start seeing these things popping up everywhere. It's like when somebody bought a new car, right? It's like, I got to have one too. Um, There's it, just something about it because, and it's just like what I shared with you last week. You know, one of the reasons I, I look forward to being a grandpa is because so many of you make it look so fun. Uh, and, and so there's just something contagious about uh, this whole aspect. When you see somebody has something that you believe is truly good, you want to be a part of that. You want to have some of that. And that's the way that they made the church look, especially love. Now, there was a lot of persecution going on because you also know how that is. We've done this ever since we were little kids. If you can't have it, what do we do? Then we don't want you to have it either, right? I mean, that's our nature. If we can't have it, we don't want you to have it. And we have this attitude about us. But, and so there were people outside the church that didn't want to do what it took to be inside the church. So they just didn't want anybody to have it any of that fun. But they saw it. They recognized it. And I think, church, this is, we've gone through a lot of amazing things about the church, but I think this right here is the most important thing that we have to draw other people into our building, into our fellowship, to help them, draw them out of being orphans and into a family with an amazing father who takes care of them and gives them a place to belong, to help them find a place to invest their lives. So not though they just in finding things to invest for short periods of time like the world offers, but things where you can invest for all eternity, right? And the best thing that we have going for us to help people find Jesus is the way that we love. And that was their secret ingredients about them. So what I chose to do is I want us to go to the book of First John. First John is, he talks more about love than any other book for sure. And it's itty-bitty book, but if you were to underline every time he uses this word agape or uses this word love, um, you're, you would find that you're just marking like almost every other verse. I mean, he just like talks about this nonstop all the way through this book. And you find out real quick, that's the theme of the book, is love. You know, uh, uh, John was known as the apostle of love. You know, um, I don't think that's how he began by any means. But that is how he ended that is the, the biggest takeaway that he had of spending time with Jesus, is Jesus taught this man how to love. And it was his desire and his passion to try to help the church love the way that he was taught by Jesus. And so he constantly is, all the way through this book, he's, he's constantly calling us his children, because he's an older guy now. He's been there and done this, and this is what he has, his takeaway from living life, especially his time with Jesus as children. Love the way that Jesus has taught us to love. Love the way that God has taught us to love. He tells us in, in verse, our chapter 4, verse 7, he says, love one another. And I want us to look at this, this what does it mean to love one another? The first thing I want to do, though, before we just dive into this, is I kind of want us to talk about just here shortly, just the, the contrast between eternal love, right? 
The love that we gain because we're in Jesus Christ is eternal love versus earthly love. Because they are, they're so different. They're motivated by different things. Um, they behave differently. They look differently. They feel differently. They sometimes smell way different. And I just want us to look at that for a moment here because earthly love is driven mostly by the visual, by the physical. I mean, it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's very similar to um, just like uh, the way that we met our mates. I know that probably maybe this isn't everybody's story, but it'd be my guess this is probably 90-some percent of our story, right? Or maybe even maybe closer to 100, I don't know. But, but the first thing that draws you to your mate is what? Now, you're in church, so you don't have to say, oh, they're in her beauty. <laughs> I bet it was like, you know, the muscles maybe, right? Or just the masculinity of some sort. Oh, he was, he was this uh, marine, you know, that just came back. I don't know what it is. Or maybe this deep blue eyes or her deep brown eyes or, or whatever it would be. But I bet there was something physical that first attracted you to your mate. And that's just the way, that's, that's an earthly love. And, and, and that's just the way that that's, we operate. We, God created us in, in some ways to be like that. So I suppose that there might be a little overlapping, but, but for the most part, I'm just going to call it earthly love because it's just driven mostly by, you know, the, the visual or the physical aspect of the way that we are created. It's hard to see beyond it. When you love this way. It's like the case of the woman who went to the police station to file a missing report about her husband. You heard about her, right? And she gets there to the police station. And, and the first thing the guy says, he says, well, you got to give me a description of your husband. And, and she's like, well, he's uh, fat and, and he's bald. Uh, he, he dresses really sloppy. And she's starting to go through this. And you know, she's like, well, well you know what? Let's just forget about the missing reports. And then she just turns around and walks out, right? <laughs> She's just like, he's not the same guy I married. Uh, it just dawned on her. Well, you're supposed to be laughing at that, but anyway. Um, sometimes truth hurts more than it's funny, I guess. I don't know. But earthly love is, is like that. Earthly love is reciprocal. I mean, it's like give and, and take. I will give, but I got to get something out of it in return. And so we kind of just treat people the way that we are treated. Now, I'm, I am not a, a great counselor, right? And, and most of you know this because nobody comes to me uh, for counseling. But, uh, uh, but I have learned some things just by trial and error, probably with, with uh, my own experience. But... Oftentimes, when I do do a little bit of this, there will be this, this ex- explanation of why we don't love. Well, do you see who, see who I have to live with or what I have to live with? You know, these kinds of things. And, and so, in other words, what they're trying to explain is, I don't get anything out of this, so I don't give anything back. And we've all been there. I've been there. I mean, Lori has been there because I've in this type of person, right? I mean, if, if she has this, I go home, I might be in a good mood, and if I come in and see that she's had a bad day, guess what? Instantly, I'm having a bad day. I mean, I'm just giving back bad for bad. Or, or if she is in a good mood, and I may be in a bad mood, then I think I'm, I might just be in a good mood too. It's just like I have, I, I measure what I give by what I'm receiving. You ever been there? Ever done that? And that is definitely an earthly kind of love. This isn't the kind of love that that Jesus has taught us to be. Not this physical love, you know, visual love. Not this reciprocal love where we we will give the way that we receive and things like this. And so I think it's important for us to, to at least understand the contrast here for us to really grasp what John is after, because he, he is talking about this eternal love. It's so different, isn't it? It, it doesn't operate on the same, with the same rules or along the same lines. 
Matthew, for instance, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, it says to us, love our enemies and love those who persecute you. We've looked at that passage many times. And, and the earthly people would be like, just snarl at that or just kind of snicker at that, right? They're just like, whatever. That's like such a fairy tale type of verse or, you know, a, a concept. Who does that? Loves their enemies, loves those who persecute them. Well, Christians do. That's who does that. Followers of Jesus do. Why? Because that's what Jesus has taught us to do. That's, that's the benefit of having this Holy Spirit live in us is because he somehow gives us the ability to do this. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, the Bible says, For love is of God. For love is of God. John is speaking of a kind of love that originates with God, like God is love. He also talks about that it is, it is through this, this God of love that he somehow um, uh, extends love to us. Again, that's why I, I suppose that I wanted you to see the picture of Mesa this week. Is this because how is it that a, a child, a child can extend love, that kind of love, that kind of powerful love to these two uh, adult grown people? Why wouldn't they have already learned that depth of that kind of love? How is it that some, some outside force like that can, can introduce something new to them in this way? And that's what God does for us, right? I mean, God, he's the originator of love. And, and when we come in contact with this God and we, be, we begin to have a, a relationship with this God, we all of a sudden feel like that it, I'm, I'm being given something that I've not experienced before. I'm starting to feel something that I've not experienced before, a, a type of love that I've not, I didn't know existed. And that's what... John is trying to convey here. Romans 5, 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Just think about that for a minute. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he's given to us. This word poured, it's, it, it literally means to gush out. And it's, and it's a, a word that is trying to um, assimilate, assimilate, or whatever the word is, <laughs> a, a, a continuation, uh, a um, constant flow, um, or discontinued. I, I think, I thought of like a fire hydrant, but, but like a water hose. I mean, a fire hydrant's awesome too. But, but then I thought, you know, it's really designed to just be, like, for a short period of time. They run out, you know, uh, of that. Unless maybe it's attached to, you know, the, the, the hydrant out here at the corner. And then I guess you get it until the river is gone. <laughs> but that's the reason I was thinking, you know, just this gushing out, this continuous uh, coming out like a lawn hose because I've left a lawn hose on here not, not too long ago. I'm not going to tell you my story, but uh, I bet it just went on and on and on until the, the person who owned this lawn hose uh, finally turned it off, right? But that is what he's talking about. The Holy Spirit is in us, and it's just continuing to feed us and give us this love. I'm still experiencing it, and I've been in this, this uh, uh, family, Christ, Christianity, for 30-plus years now. I have some really bad days, but sometimes I have some really good days. Sometimes I, I'm just like, where did that love come from? That can't be from me because I don't love that well. And I'm not bragging on myself. I'm trying to brag on, on God because if it was not because of the Holy Spirit living within me, I would not have been able to do that. 
if it, if it has intermittent problems, it's because I'm not letting the Holy Spirit have his way in me. I've, I've reverted back to not this love that he's talking about here, but reverted back to an earthly love that is looking through the visual and, and noticing the physical, right, and the reciprocal type of things that it operates under. There are people and times when, when it's hard to love someone. You know, maybe, maybe they just annoy us. Maybe they've done something against us and hurt us, and it's just really hard to love them. But you and I have experienced that as long as we are in, you know, in our word, in God's word, uh, and we are in the Holy Spirit, and we are having this communion with him, somehow he just extends this. And, and somehow we are able to love, even at hard times. One of my favorite stories is that the story of Corey Ten Boone. And, and you know the story, but Corey was, you know, she was, um, uh, lived in Germany uh, during the Nazi uh, situation. The Jew- she was a, a Jewish person. And she was discovered, they were trying to um, help the Jews, you know, and getting people out and stuff. And, and her family was uh, put into a concentration camp there in Ravensbrück. Uh, Brooke, um, a concentration camp, and and her, her, she was separated from her family, so she never got to see her mom and dad ever again. Uh, Betsy, her sister, was put in the same place with her, and she had to just experience this whole ordeal of being just totally mistreated, like something we could, you know, just in our our greatest nightmares maybe could uh, understand. Um, but her, she had to watch her sister being mistreated too, and, and Betsy never made it. She died in concentration camp, and it's, a, it's just a miracle that uh, Corey did also. But when she finally was released and, and, and was able to get out of that concentration camp, she began to, she had this deep relationship with Jesus. And you know, I don't know that there's any way that I can really understand that other than just trying to see it through other people's lives. But when, 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 this, when a, a, a deeper understanding to me came is when uh, the guy who uh, started the Voice of the Martyrs, right, um, uh, Wolmbrandt, when, when he wrote his book and I read his book and he just talked about being tortured and being in prison and... and the way that he talked about after he was released and, and all the horrible things that were done to them. I mean, we can't even fathom what was done to these people, right, in these prisons and the way they were mistreated. But when he got out and wrote about that, there was something within him that hungered to go back. And, of course, he had to explain, try to explain what it would be. I mean, he did not want, did not miss anything about the torturing or anything, but what he missed was the communion, communion and, the, and the depth of his relationship with Jesus and God at that time because he relied on God so much. And God gave him just the ability to withstand that that there's no way he would have been able to do outside of God. And it was when I read that and understanding also just people like Corey Ten Boone and their, their conversation about that, that I understand that there's, there's a depth that I have not ever been, although I have been way further than I could ever imagine going in Christ and outside of Christ when it comes to love. But there's still a love that I have never even tapped into. He talks about that too. He just talks about the love that he had for the prison, I mean, for the guards, and how he tried to witness to them. And a lot of them couldn't handle their position very long. They had to, you know, um, they could only stay there for a certain period of time. And they had to move them somewhere else because they were converting so many of the guards over a period of time. Just watching how much they loved these people that we were, you know, put in charge to torture and, and treat like this. And so 
Corey, his life is like this, but when she got out, she was speaking, um, uh, speaking in a church in Munich, and, uh, and so in the process of speaking in this church in Munich, there was one of the people who was, you know, the guards and tortured them uh, that when she was in Ravensbrück come into the auditorium. And if you can imagine, I can't even imagine, but what that would have brought up in her life. All of a sudden, she could smell the smells and she could see all the piles of dirty clothes and remember flashbacks of how they treated her and, and watching her sister Betsy, you know, uh, being not only tortured, but just drying up and just stop breathing and all of the things that went on. After she got done with the talk, this man approached her. And the whole time she was just not wanting this to happen. And he came up to her and he reached out his hand and he told her as he's doing this that he had found God and and that he is a Christian now. But she could not make herself raise her hand. She just kept her hands down to her side. And she's just like, God, I can't forgive this man. You know, I mean, these feelings of overwhelming Feelings were on her, and she said, I I can't forgive him. Lord, you're going to have to give me your forgiveness. And she said, just out of obedience, and there was really nothing more than just out of obedience and being in the place that she was and feeling this strong, uh, like, I've got to be, be obedient in this. She raises her hand, and as soon as she touched this man's hand, she says there was an energy that came from, it started from her shoulders and it just went down through her arm and it extended from her fingertips into this guy's hand. I mean, she just felt it, this energy coming out of her. And she says a moment that she just knew that it had transpired into his hand, she said she felt this overwhelming sense of love that it just overwhelmed her and she didn't even, she's never, she's never felt it before. And she just knew that it was the love of God that was being poured out of her and through her. And then she started teaching about that, right? I mean, she just started trying to help God's people know that you being obedient, and when Jesus says, love as I have loved you, forgive as I have forgiven you, and if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. And and just all of these these commands that we have in Scripture, right? She says when we are obedient to that, that is when we will receive a power that we have never known before. John talks about this love in, in, this, in this book. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from who? It is from God. And whoever love has been born of God and knows God. You see, one of the things, and we're going to read a little more here, but one of the things I want you to understand is that once we are connected to Jesus, we receive this Holy Spirit. And as long as we allow this Holy Spirit to control us and stop letting the world control us, then we begin to to find a love that is not of our own. We begin to be able to express this in a way that we wouldn't have been able to express it in any other way. The thing is, is that when, when Jesus Christ comes and lives with inside of you, through his spirit, we can't hide it anymore. It, it's, it's just impossible. People will know. You will be found out. How did they know who belonged to who? When there was persecution going on, how did they know who was followers of Jesus? Was it because of what house that they entered in on Sunday morning? No. It was because of the way that they loved. It was the love from the Romans that they were just like, they, they just loved differently. And I bet they would be like, I bet they could just be around these people And within a short period of time, they'd be like, you're a follower of Jesus, aren't you? I bet bet that's exactly how that happened. Don't you think so? It was just that kind of thing. 
I just wonder, church, I mean, this is our challenge, right? But this is, this is what we ought to be known for over all other things. Not our political views. People shouldn't be spending the time with us, and then as we are sharing our political views, oh, you're one of those, right? That shouldn't be what gives us away. What should give us away is the way that we love. And not love, love each other, I mean, should give us away for sure, but not just loving each other, but the way that we love our enemies should give us away. The way that we love other people should give us away. It cannot be hidden. So I just want us to look at this verse here that, Paul, or that John writes about. In 1 John he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. In other words, he's saying, that is where you get it. Let us love this way because you, you know who is, we're connected with. Who is our Father God? Who has or, you know, uh, adopted us from being orphans? And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Like, like there is just evidence that cannot be hidden, cannot be concealed. And look what he says here in verse 8. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. There are moments that I don't love very well. But it doesn't characterize, you know, the majority of my life. And it's not that I have tapped into the depth of this love that I can go, just like we talked about. I know, put in the right circumstances, I would be up here saying, I didn't even really know what love was. You know, like... Wolbrandt and, and Corey Tinboon could tell us it would blow our socks away more so than I could ever express to you. But I do know that because of God, He motivates a love within me that I just didn't know that I had. But anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. What does that mean, manifest? Like revealed, right? It has been known. So in this, the love of God was made known among us. And that's why we had these people, these secular people, saying from the outside looking in, man, do they know how to love. Because that's what God was doing. He was just manifesting this among everybody. That God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. John not only had much to say about love, but he also says much about the evidence. And we could read, if we read this whole, this whole little book, we would find that a whole lot of it is just evidence. If you have God in your life, you got love in your life. And if you got love in your life, there is just going to be behavior. There's going to be things about you that is different than all others. Look what he says here in chapter 3, 1 John 3, verse 14. He says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because, the love, because we love the brothers. We know that we have, like, not only is there evidence for other people and they see the evidence coming out of us. It's like, can, can you conceal that you have chicken pox? No. No hiding that. I mean, they'd be like, what are all those bumps on you? What is going on with you? And this is the way it is with Christianity, right? We, we have a love that it can't be concealed. Other people will see it. But there's also an evidence for ourselves. I mean, like we know that we are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of just the, the change that has come upon us. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in what? In death. They're still worldly. They've never tapped into this eternity, this eternal thing. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 
And really, the Bible can't be any plainer about this. If we do not love, we can or cannot love. Well, Mike, you just don't understand what they've done to me. And you would be absolutely right. I, I have no doubt that I do not understand how much you've been hurt. But Jesus does. And it's not Mike who says this, but it's Jesus who says this. Forgive just as I forgave you. A new command I give you, love one another. The greatest of these is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And second is love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible couldn't be any plainer. If we do not love or cannot love, it is an indication that we are not truly abiding in Jesus, not truly getting life from the vine, as it tells us in John 15. If you don't abide in the vine, what happens? If you're cut off from the vine, what happens to the branch? It dies. And, and John is saying, if you, if, you don't, uh, uh, if you are in God, then you are going to have this evidence and it's going to be made known to other people. It's going to be known to you by your love. 2 Corinthians 13.5, look what it says here. He says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. So we're going to have a test. This is God's test, and this is how God has like a one-question test. Test yourself. Or you do not realize that this, or do you not realize this about, about yourself, that Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Well, what is the test? I mean, there's, there's evidence that has to be there to know whether we are in Christ or not. You know, the first church was known for its love. And everybody from the outside, even when they were persecuted, everybody on the outside was just like, have you noticed how these people love? That was what everybody was saying about this church. What is everybody saying about the church today as a whole? I think we're being criticized. I don't think we're being complimented or admired by our love. I think we're being criticized and put down and be like, I, don't even, I wouldn't even want to be a part of them. Whereas the first church would be like, I want to be a part of them. I just don't know if I want to give up what it would take to be a part of them. The reality is, is that the church is a beautiful thing. But the most beautiful aspect of the church is the way that they love like Jesus. And this has to be something that, that we are motivated by. Because this is how we continue his work, is by loving the way that he loved. Eternal love, and we know what earthly love is. Eternal love, it, it sees and does. It, it sees what others don't see, and it does what others won't do, Right? It sees something that the world cannot see. I mean, Jesus was constantly talking about this. Why do you talk in parables, Jesus? Well, so that those who have eyes will see. And for some, they won't see like it, like it concealed it. I mean, that kind of stuff gets confusing. But the reality is, is that what he's saying in, in this and in several places is that the people that are outside of me and refusing to believe in me, they will never understand. They'll never, they have eyes, but they cannot see. They, they have uh, ears, but they cannot understand. 
And it's just, it's just a whole different foreign language that they don't know. But for us, we know, we understand. I want you to notice something here in chapter 3, verse 16. I want you to see what they see or what they saw. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Have you seen that? Have you, have you seen that in your own life? But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in the truth. You see, that, that verse is what it's talking about. It's talking about seeing something that the world could not see, and that is this Jesus who laid down his life for his brothers. Some people just saw when Jesus was on the cross, they just saw somebody that did something wrong, was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe he's getting what he deserves, some thought. Maybe some were like, I don't think he deserves this. But they still did not see, they still did not understand who he was, did they? The first church came out of that. I mean, it wasn't after Jesus, you know, was killed and came back to life that Peter was preaching that 3,000 people came to their senses and said, what in the world have we done? I didn't know that's who Jesus really was. And the church was birthed out of that. The reason that you're probably here today is because you see what others cannot see. Which means that we must share what others won't share. And what does it say? If anyone who has the world's goods... You know, so many times I'm tempted to think, man, I wish I had a little more. Well, inflation's going up, but you notice? Yeah, you've all noticed. But then I quickly stop and I realize how much I have. Especially, you know, at a time that the world has stopped to look into other countries during the Olympics and just realize that we are a minute people of, of great wealth. I mean, most of the world lives on nothing. And so when this verse, when I know that, I, I, when I have seen Christ for what Christ is, it challenges my heart. And if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? It's a question. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in the truth. And we see this Love the deepest when we really focus on Jesus. Because Jesus was perfect at it. Do you remember the, the movie River Kai? Uh, the bridge on the River Kai? Uh, there's a... Is that, is that how you pronounce that? It is? Okay. Um, so there's these Scottish uh, soldiers... Uh, they were captured by the Japanese, and they were forced to build this br- or railroad, I guess, uh, or bridge. It was a railroad bridge. <laughs> uh, but they were building this, and they, you know, just working them to death, mistreating them, just 
kept them, gave them enough to have enough energy just to do the work day by day. And the commander, at one point, uh, there was a shovel that comes up missing. You remember this? And the commander is, like, furious. He is super upset that, that the shovel has come up missing. So he has all the prisoners come out. And he is just threatened to kill every prisoner until the person who stole the shovel, you know, brings it forward. And nobody is bringing it forward. And so he's, he's threatening, and, and everybody knows that he is going to, you know, do what he has threatened. And finally, somebody steps forward and admits that they took the shovel. And this commander takes the shovel and just beats this guy to death. I mean, until he's dead. Later, when they recounted the shovels, they realized and discovered that there wasn't a shovel missing. But when that was known, that that guy stepped forward and gave his life so that other people would not die, and and knew that he didn't steal it, but just gave up his life for others, word of that just spread. It gave energy and it gave strength to others. And, And that's why we come to the table, and that's where we're at now is to remember the one who gave up his life so that we could have life. And I don't want us to just treat this like some routine or ritual, but to treat this for what it was meant to be, and that is to remember the sacrifice. And John is trying to draw that out when he says this, but we know, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And it's why we do it every week, right? So that we are reminded of this love. By this, we know love. And something happens, or should happen here, as we take this juice and, and, we, take, and we take a part of this bread and we consume it, we realize this is the the life's blood that is going within us. This is the only reason that we have eternal hope. It's the source for which our love comes. It's, it's where the Holy Spirit came from, is through this event in time. And it puts shoes on our feet so that when we turn and we go back to our seats or when we go out these doors, that it somehow is, is what motivates us to love differently than we would have loved if we hadn't have been here. To love more deeply. Just as a child can invent a new type of love, this right here should invent a love that is greater than any love we experience. And people around us should know. They should see it in us. Have you noticed how, and you just put your name in there, but how do you notice how such and such loves? How they're always loving? Let's pray. And then we're going to partake of communion. Father God, we, uh, we thank you so much for Jesus and for this, this cup of juice and this little wafer that represents his blood and his body. We thank you that Jesus gave us the table, gave us this way of communing with you. to reflect, to be challenged. That it gave us a way to, um, this given us this continuation of that pouring out of your love in us. Father, help us, help us to gain what we need 
here at this table right now. Give us a love, Father, that only comes from you for each other and for those who are outside of this fellowship. Help us be known for our love. Thank you for the love that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.